0: Glory to Jesus Christ. Glory, glory. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The hymnody for this feast is quite rich. We heard at the three Marian uh, readings that are assigned for the Marian feasts. We have Jacob, uh, the latter, or at least what we understand as the latter. My understanding Uh, is actually that in the Hebrew it is actually a reference to a ziggurat or to a temple. And that's the angels ascending and descending. So it's a temple theme because then when you hit Ezekiel, you have the same temple theme there. Uh, And then the last is the house of God. Again, this is reflected through the previous two readings, the house of God, the temple, uh, that Lady Wisdom, uh, has built. The hymnody goes from the garden, it goes to Mount Sinai, a little bull dedicated to Mount Sinai. Uh, it goes from different theophanies, as we heard the Old Testament readings, and all of these have the Theotokos in some way playing amongst all of these themes, uh, how we understand her. Uh, It's very hard for me uh, in hearing all of these things as I've been working on uh, writing a a chapter for a kind of overview of the Old Testament, uh, using these things, because uh, for an untrained eye, at least for the eye that I had growing up, uh, we read Genesis pretty flatly. Uh, When we read Genesis 1-3, through we usually got hung up uh, about questions of science or some other Concerns, but we seem to actually miss how Genesis 1-3 through 3 echoes through the rest of the Old Testament. we got the basics. Uh, but what you see in Genesis, maybe to the untrained eye, eye that I did not have at one time, uh, is in the creation uh, story, where God systematically goes through, uh, creates the world. Uh, he is, uh, in essence, creating a temple. The world itself is the temple of God. This is especially uh, underlined for us uh, with the very end of the creation account. What happens on the seventh day? He rests from his work. Uh, Resting for uh, God, especially in the context in which Genesis was written, was that the God would uh, build his temple and then when he rested, where would he rest? He would rest within his temple. And so when Adam and Eve are created, they are actually, because uh, many of the ancient uh, Near East Temples, there was a garden attached. Uh, I can think especially of the great wonders of the ancient world, the Hanging Gardens of Babylon. Where we, and I remember, for whatever reason, very specific pictures uh, in my school book or something as a kid, of the Hanging Gardens of Babylon. But you have temple and garden, uh, they're connected to each other. Uh, we see this very often still at churches to this day, right? You have a nice courtyard, you have uh, some kind of, even in Ethiopia, they actually have forests around the churches. Uh, but the temple garden uh, is where Adam and Eve are placed. In fact, the words, when it said that they are there to tend the garden, that's the same words uh, that you'll find in Leviticus for the priests and their liturgical work in the temple. That Adam and Eve are set in the garden to do liturgical work. We probably think that they get a hoe and a rake or something, uh, but the meaning behind the text is not that they were uh, gardeners. I think we can, we can take that in a different direction as well, but mainly they are there as liturgical um, assistants. They are to tend the garden, uh, and they are also, Adam is to name the creatures, right? Uh, they are vice regents. They are co-enthroned uh, with God in rule over the world. That is when everything is working well, before the serpent enters, before Adam and Eve um, abdicate their role uh, as head of creation, as tending the garden. Uh, They abdicate that role, take the fruit, uh, destroy the purpose of creation as an entire theophany or temple of God, and consume it for themselves so that they can somehow become gods without the path that God has set before them. A rejection of reality, a rejection of the word of God, uh, an abdication of their role, and so the natural consequence, of course, is the garden. Uh, they are forced to leave the garden. In which direction do they leave the garden? Do you remember which direction they leave the garden? They're, they are banished to the east, or to the west. I would have of the southbound. The southbound. <laughs> southbound. <laughs> I believe they are banished uh, to the west, if I remember correctly, because it's when they uh, head towards Eden. It's heading towards the east, so they are banished. Uh, in the opposite direction Uh, they are put outside the bounds of the garden and what guards the garden what takes their place of tending the garden cherubim. cherubim with a flaming sword we had an entire chapari dedicated to who being now in paradise where the cherubim are the theotokos we have, in Mount Sinai, a recapitulation of many of the same themes. This time we have fire and we have smoke. We have, uh, well, what happened when I went around the I call of fire and smoke went around the temple. Uh, we have on Mount Sinai the same uh, gradations of now of approach to God. No longer is God just walking calmly through uh, the paradise with Adam and Eve now he uh, and his holiness uh, is removed and now there's three levels basically. You have the outer courtyard uh, or you have the foot of the mountain you then have the side of the mountain where the elders and Aaron eat with God and have a meal and then you have the holy of holies where Moses goes into the presence of God, receives the ten commandments uh, the blueprint of the creation of the ark of the covenant the tabernacle temple. He sees uh, what God, what heavenly worship is like. St. Gregory Miso will later talk about what Moses perceived. We think, yes, he perceived uh, temple worship, but he specifically perceived Jesus Christ and fulfillment that Jesus Christ has in fulfilling all of the worship of the temple, which is then reflected, of course, in our worship. All of our worship uh, is Jewish worship gone through the cross, and refracted through that and shown in our worship. The Theotokos stands uh, at the center of this. She is Gregory of Nyssa when he reads about Mount Sinai, the Ten Commandments. She is the tablet upon which God, in his finger, writes uh, the word. It's one of the earliest uh, references to the Theotokos. uh, Also, as within the burning bush, we have the Theotokos read within the entire... Uh, life of Israel, not uh, an addition at the end, but she is there as our Lord. She is known from before the foundations of the world that she was to be the Theotokos. She is not divine, but we know she was known by God from before the foundation of the world that she would be the one who would bring forth God the Word. And so when we come to this feast, this specific feast, which is one of the lesser Marian feasts, but it uh, has beautiful hymnody, and I think it drives home for us a very important uh, thing that in uh, our approach to God and His holiness, we have advocates. Of course, we have our great high priest, mediator, and advocate in our Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ. But we are, He is surrounded by His mother, by the friends of God. And we have uh, the the Mother of God interceding for us. That she stands in the midst of the temple. This is the vision that um, uh, Andrew, the fool for Christ, saw of the Theotokos with her veil, or as uh, they sung and the uh, tonight the omophorion. You all know what an omophorion is. It's another Greek word. The omophorion is what the bishop wears. Uh, let's see if I can actually see it. If there's a vested. Oh, so St. Innocent has a great omophorion on here. This is the sign of the office of the bishop. Uh, he, he will wear an epitrachelion or stole, but he will also have around him, there's a simpler one that will just be uh, the sign of his pastoral office. Uh, and in the hymnody, the veil of the Theotokos, or the omophorion which is basically the sign of her office, of her protection, of her authority, that she intercedes for us. This is the vision that Andrew had, that he saw the Theotokos um, praying fervently for all those gathered in the church and then covering them with her omophorion, with her veil. So that in the midst of our, the ways in which we can get lost, uh, as Dante puts it, waking up, in a dark wood that we have in the very heart of the temple in the heart of the sanctuary while we may be wandering around maybe in the courtyard, maybe further that we have a very powerful loving maternal presence that stands right in the midst of God's holy ones and prays for us protects us intercedes for us Amidst the smoke, the fire, the mystery that is God, we have a strong advocate. One for whom we can say, uh, had somebody recently tell me, uh, one of the things, for the first time coming into an Orthodox church, as we were just sang at the dismissal, when the priest says, Most the Holy Theotokos, save us. They heard that phrase and they just went, What? <laughs> Why? Uh, that was not a good explosion. That was like, I, I can't fathom, I don't understand. What are you talking about? Jesus Christ is the Savior. Yes, absolutely, Jesus Christ is our Savior. But we are all saved through the body of Christ, at who stands at the forefront of that body. We have the head our Lord God, Savior Jesus Christ. And then we have the Theotokos. More honorable than the cherubim, more glorious, beyond compared than the seraphim, who holds us in her prayers, who covers us with her prayers, who protects us, uh, who intercedes for us in the very heart of the temple. Let us give thanks to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for the intercessions of the most blessed Lady of Amen.